Welcome to the Avance Podcast. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. How's it going, man? Oh, I'm recovering. You I sound great. To, you know, I, I made it all the way back from a week from Monterey and then decided to, I think something was harboring it. I'm no, I don't think it's what the world thinks it is, but I've been getting my butt kicked for the last few days and just sort of laying low. Um, but I'm enjoying being away from people, so it's nice. Yes, thank you for not coming to get me sick. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Usually Dan and I are in the same place and I'm actually at my house. And it's funny because... I've felt really well today mm. and been not stuffed up at all. And the minute I put on my headset, my, my it's like it's that inner ear pressure. <laughs> it, it must be. So I'm like, yeah, I'm still in Dan, I'm like, I'm not going to cough and I'm not, I'm going to be good. And then I put the headset on. So I'm doing good. You know, still good. alive. How are good. you? Uh, really good. I got that uh, upper mezzanine cleaned off and I'm going to do the cutting tonight. And then that means oh. the lift goes in Friday. So finally oh, the lift wow, is okay. in the shop and, uh, yeah, a lot of junk up there, uh, more than I thought. But I did find some stuff I didn't know was up there, so that's nice. Well, I mean, as soon as the lift goes in, the better. I really need to rotate the tires on the uh, the Triumph, and I need one of your uh, your 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 soft impact hammers to get the, the, the knockoffs off. So yeah, so I've already got a I've already got a job for it. So well, I'm glad you. I can be of assistance. So yeah, I'm oh, gonna... I, and I know you got you got to do brakes on the Raptor and everything, yep, right? That's exactly. Like, okay. So I'm looking forward yeah. to be able to do my own maintenance finally uh, on that stuff. Well, it's not that I can't, obviously it's not that I can't, but man, it's so much easier when you get a lift. Fair anyway, enough. Hydraulic Solutions yeah. coming by Havant's partner. Thanks to them. Um, what else? Nothing. Just been being sick at home. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, getting back from Monterey, it's so much car stuff. It's like I've sort of been staying away from it this week. Like I haven't kept up with the news. I haven't really, you know, not that there's been a ton. Obviously, every, after everything gets launched at at, uh, at Quail and Pebble, you know, there's a lot of information. But um, just kind of been staying away from it, actually, and just sort of. <laughs> you got to decompress after that because, like yeah. you said, it's on overload. You're just like, okay, just give me a break and. Yeah, we live, eat, sleep, breathe cars and automotive and motorcycles. But after that week, you're just like peace and quiet. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was good. I'm a Star Wars fan, so Ahsoka came out. So I was just, you know, yeah, having a good time. So you know, <laughs> yeah, living that love with them. I, that's way off topic, but love what they're doing with that. Oh, so, I'm sure yeah. we have plenty of crossover with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's do our Carter Automotive Group tip of the week. Um, this one comes from uh, an old screwdriver I found. That's. Uh, should be drinking those and not, oh, the right. tool. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I found an old screwdriver that I've had for, oh man, I got to say at least 25 years. Really, really old screwdriver for me. Isn't it amazing that we have tools that are that old? Yeah. I know. A little <laughs> sad. But uh, it's not, uh, at first glance, I thought it was just another Phillips, which I have been downsizing my miscellaneous tools because I have nice sets of those now and, you know, giving them away to people who need them. This was not, this was a Phillips lookalike. This is, uh, there's a few of those out there, but this is the one you're going to run into on a lot of older vehicles, uh, specifically Japanese cars and especially Japanese motorcycles pre-mid-2000s. And this is called a JIS screwdriver, Japanese Industrial Standard. And so this is a common misconception. If you've ever stripped out one of these screws, you've been working on an old motorcycle um, that you just thought these screws looked a little different, or maybe they all looked like they were a little bit stripped, like the heads were kind of eaten out. Um, they're not. A JIS screw, in my opinion, is actually superior to the American Phillips screw. Uh, it, it allows the head of the screwdriver to sit much deeper into the head of the screw, and it uh, has a better contact point. So you can use a JIS screwdriver on any Phillips screw, and you can't use a Phillips screw on any JIS screw. So it's one of the, it's not, I would say better to have a JIS set if you do a lot of work on older vehicles or older motorcycles. Um, I say they're superior because they have more they have more contact points on the screw it, head itself because it allows it to go deeper and it fits tighter into it. Um, 
you will have less strip out and less cam out and you can put more torque on screws with the GIS screwdriver. So that's why you see when you take apart like an old, an old Yamaha or an old Honda or something like that, especially a motorcycle, you'll find even inside the case, there's a lot of these GIS screws. And if you've worked on stuff a long time, you think that's, that's crazy. Why would you have, you know, Phillips looking head screws inside of a case or inside of a motorcycle. And that's because you can actually put a lot of torque on these things. These aren't like regular bolts. So they were quick and easy for people to put in. They don't cam out and they don't strip out. And so you could, uh, they were a really good option for having the same type of bolt throughout the entire motorcycle. So it's the same screw, I should say. So you could have one. And the nice thing about this is too, is you could have basically one tool and take apart almost your entire motorcycle. So not a bunch of not a bunch of different bolt heads, not a bunch of different hex heads, just one perfect screw that you could get off with one good quality tool. And I missed that. I mean, it was a there's a reason for everything. There's a reason people did things at the time, and things have changed. Specs have gotten tighter. Our bolts are improved. Our metal are, our uh, forging processes have improved. So now we've switched to a lot of different kinds of bolts and things like that. There's a reason we changed too. But at the time, it was a really good idea, and I think it's really cool to see. And it's a uh, important to know, and it's an important tool to have in your set. Just one. They're really not that expensive. You can buy them all day for like 15 to 25 bucks for a really good one. And it'll last you a lifetime. It's not like you're going to overtorque this thing and ruin it. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a cool tool to have or you want to work on some older stuff, look for one of these. Order one online from any of your favorite retailers. But JIS, Japanese Industrial Standard, not Phillips. So, worth knowing. And just so you know, the screws are just easy, as easy to lose as the regular screws. So That's true. I mean, yeah. If you drop they're it, they're great like that. Fine. Yeah. They're a pain in the ass yeah. to replace if you lose one, too. So don't. Exactly. Because JIS screws are the one thing you won't find at your average Tacoma screw or hardware store. So there's that problem as well. But if you want to keep things period correct, and I think it's a cool thing to know. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, our guest today uh, knows a lot about <laughs> cool tools, the industry, but... Um, RJ, I'll just be honest. I think every one of our listeners probably knows you from your famous scene in The Fast and the Furious. And RJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yes, two, two, uh, two seconds of fame. I still get residuals, so I'm, I'm not complaining. Heck yeah. As long as I keep playing it. I think Dan and I were laughing because, I mean, obviously, you're, I think we're about the same age. Um, I've kind of grown up watching your career, and it's been kind of fun. And I mm-hmm. mean, one of the things that always pops up when I when I think about you is there was it was an article or something and it was a picture of you and it said I'm the kid who makes the cars you drive cool and so that's kind of I, I think that's a real encompass you know of what you do so um, current current title is the VP of marketing for SEMA correct that is correct yeah about a year and a half in uh, SEMA feels like home to me because this year will be number twenty six wow uh, in a row uh, last year was the first year that I was part of this side of the fence helping produced the show. I had been to the show in many other facets. Um, Nick, that article that you talked about was one that was in Car Magazine, which is a British UK pub uh, that was very honored and flattered that I was featured in there. Um, and it wasn't one of my builds. It was actually me and, and what I did, you know, helping build corporate image vehicles, designing product and being involved in Fast and Furious, having an MTV show and things of that nature. And, you know, kind of my involvement in, in helping kind of youth car culture, you know, uh, expand and, and move forward. So that was really cool. Now you kind of, I mean, the, the first thing I kind of know you from is, is you did some as an editor for super street, correct? How did you come into that of all things? Being the editor of super street came about, um, I was already involved, quite involved in import car shows and import drag racing when the guys were 
developing Super Street. So Matt Pearson, who was the first editor, or had worked at Peterson, I think he was working for one of the truck books. And he was pitching, you know, the, the head guy at Peterson, uh, you know, the idea of making an automotive magazine based around sport compact cars or, or, or import uh, modified cars or import tuners. And I think there was an article in Auto Week um, that actually I was featured in. It was written by Mark Vaughn. And it was this, the title was Passing the Flames. And it was just about this new generation of, of young people hot rotting their car, cars. And I say that in air quotes because we're all modifying Hondas, Toyotas, Acuras, things of that nature. And I think Matt, at least the story goes, court, you know, that he told me is that he went to visit this guy and, and you know, kind of plot the article down and said, see, like Auto Week's covering it. We should definitely do this magazine. And so I met the guys um, as they were starting to develop the book. Um, I think I, I was a uh, somewhat of a partner at a place that built Honda race engines. And I was really involved in the scene of entering car shows and helping promote events. And I just kind of became Matt's guy to be like, Hey, do you know who this drag racer is? Do you know about this event? You really need to cover this. And, you know, Peterson was down the street from my college, uh, UCLA. And so Peterson was on Wilshire Boulevard in LA, which is kind of this area that wasn't too far from school. And when I had met Matt, he had chosen a car from my car club to launch the magazine. Uh, so it's this yellow kind of Integra that we drove somewhere, you know, in the in the mountains, you know, Angeles Crest, and we jacked it up on on, uh, on jack stands. And then, you know, the photographer, Wes Allison, shot it and then photoshopped out the jack stand. So the car looked like it was launching, which meant, you know, to signify that it was the launch of the magazine, which was really cool. So I just bugged them enough, you know, heading to his office. And then he was like, why don't you just shoot and write for the magazine? I'm like, hell yeah, sign me up. I'm going to be honest. I thought they jumped that car. <laughs> you, 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 just, you just took a piece of my childhood away, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, yeah, and, and, you, and you have to remember, this was at a time when it was all film photography, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and everything was done in, in Photoshop afterwards. So. Um, yeah, we, you know, I learned a lot kind of being Wes's kind of uh, assistant half the time on cover sheets. So um, definitely a, a great part of my career. I think I did that for about six, seven years. And for, for anybody that grew up in print, I think, you know, we all still love it. We all still kind of love flipping pages and it's mm -hmm. almost like smelling the, the, the paper, you know. And so it's, it's changed a lot over the years, of course. Most of us get our news through our phones and digital means, but when you when you op, you open up a, a print magazine, all these memories start rushing back, and I think you feel more uh, attentive when you have it in print versus it's on your phone because there's so many distractions, right? So yeah, I used to read those every single one of those like a religious text. It was cover to cover, everything, the yeah, the, even the ads, everything. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up, you know, on, on things that I could read and couldn't read. So uh, I remember because I was into tuning Japanese imports, I would buy these Japanese magazines mm -hmm. from the local option, Japanese things, market. Yeah. yeah, option, option two. Yep. And I couldn't even read anything, but I, I started to distinguish like the characters that said Integra, which is mm -hmm. what I had, you know? It's like, oh, they make it for an Integra, like, you know? So and I had ended up taking Japanese just because I wanted to, to be able to at least kind of understand what was going on. I mean, you know, can you imagine if we had Google Translate back then? Oh, man. Overnight parts from Japan. 
exactly. That'd make a good movie line, Dan. Write that down. I know. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The funny thing is, we—that's what we did back in the day. You know, the the first import car show was was called Import Show Off. It was March of '95. That really featured, you know, this style of tuning that came from Japan. Um, I was having a booth because I was selling performance parts out of my mom's condo at the time, and that's how I justified like modifying this car that didn't need to be modified. You know, to my mom, it was like, it's a new car. Why are you changing parts? And my excuse was like, I'm going to sell these parts out of our condo. Um, but I wanted a new set of wheels, um, these SSR type X's in, in this white color. And I had to air freight them, you know, to get it in time. Cause usually back then, and, and even now, right. You order parts, it gets put on a boat and you get it six to nine months later. Yep. You know? If it makes it. <laughs> if it makes it, yeah. yeah. Especially in especially in this day and age. So it's funny when that line came out in the movie, I was like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was reality for us. I went to Japan in two thousand, I think it was, and uh when I was over there I called a buddy of mine who had an import shop here in North Korea. I was like, what do you want me to pick up that I can pack home with me? And he had me was like, get these lights, get this steering wheel, get this shift knob. <laughs> so I went to I went to I don't remember some boutique that they t- took me to and they're like, they'll have everything. It's, it's like, sure enough. Yeah. Autobacks or something. Yeah. So I think it was one of those. Yeah. Or, or cockpit or some yellow hat. Yeah. It was so, pretty cool. Yeah. I did that many a times. I, I actually, before I went to my first SEMA show, I went to my first Tokyo Auto Salon. This was January 97. Dang. Um, and it was, you know, kind of, I had made a deal with my parents that if I got really good grades and, and graduated this level that I could have a ticket to Japan, I'd pay for the rest. So I remember taking that trip and, and many after that, like you said, Dan, where you like, you buy stuff and, and you, you bring it back in your suitcase. I think I bought a set of coilovers <laughs> and like found a way to fit that in my suitcase and not declare it. You know? Like, oh, you know, like this suitcase was like, I don't know. Everybody travels with coilovers. Pounds. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah well, at the time you could do that. They didn't really check. Yes, they didn't really check the weight. Yeah, the they're suitcase. like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I could barely get that thing off the conveyor belt, you know? Cause it's like, there was like all my clothes plus like a set of four, like full coilovers for whatever car I had at the time. I think it was an NSX or something like that. And I was so like, I really wanted these, this company who was this small company out in the middle of nowhere that I visited and they had street coilovers, which street in Japan and street in the U S <laughs> is so different. Yeah. Yeah. It was so like stiff as hell. I was like, how are these street coilovers? And then like RJ roads in Japan are pretty smooth. I'm like, yeah. It's like they care or something. I yeah. just I'm, yeah, exactly. you tell that story and there's a cutaway in my mind of some like TSA person going, "What the hell?" <laughs> I'm just like, "Whatever, it's not going to explode. Carry on." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I do want to talk about the Fast and the Furious a little bit and the fact that you weren't only in the movie, you were a consultant on the movie as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah, and that's how I actually got in the film. So, I was working at Peterson Publishing. I not only worked on Super Street, but I worked on our event side. And so we had an import drag racing series called Naira. I was the car show manager, Craig Lieberman, who was the other consultant to the film was the race director and somehow universal found him um, and got him to read the script for the movie, which at the time was called Redline. That was the working title. And they had signed Craig on as a consultant. And they said, Hey, do you know anyone that grew up that knows this world really well? And he's like, ah, I have this, you know, young gappy, 20 year old, you know, I think I was 22 or three at the time that works for me, uh, that grew up in this whole world. And he's actually one of the, the leaders of my, it's this car club that I'm in. 
uh, called Art in Motion, and you should meet him. So I met uh, one of the producers um, at an import car show, and they, they talked to me about the movie. And in my head, I was like, this can't be real. You know, and I think I flat out asked him, is this going straight to DVD? If anyone remembers DVD. Of course we're not street racing. The, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. This doesn't happen. Move along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And even the idea that there was going to be like, you know, in, like modified import cars on the big screen, like I couldn't even fathom it. I'm like, these guys are going to, you know, it's going to be like, I literally thought it was going to go straight to DVD. And they were like, no, we're really serious. Like, this is going to be a, a, a you know film that comes out in the theaters. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're like, would you like to be a consultant? I'm like, sure. And so when we made the first one, like, no one took it seriously because it was supposed to be like a summer teeny bopper. I mean, Paul was coming off Varsity Blues and the Skulls and then was coming off Pitch Black. Like, no one knew who any of these people were. They were just kind of, you know, indie flick artists that were kind of making their way up. I think their Jordana was a soap star Michelle was had one indie film that she was a part of. So we had a lot of fun making the first one. Um, my initial role was with Craig to help choose the cars for the characters and some of the accessories. And, and really, because our budget was so low, like we were, we were asking favors from the industry. Like, mm-hmm. hey, can we get five body kits and like five sets of wheels? And they're like, what's it for? Oh, it's this movie. And no one took it seriously. And yeah, so now they're really begging our, them to take Yeah, for number two. Yeah. I mean, I think certain after the movie came out, certain parts went on back order, like NOS for every type of car, every kit was like two years back order, mm-hmm. you know, sparkle seats, you know, like, I mean, the, the APR wings, you know, certain things that were like, oh, really? Um, but yeah, it, the movie became what the movie is. And here we are, what, 22 years later, and we're finally at the end of it. It's, it's become a spy movie, but yeah. <laughs> going to space now that, yeah. that, that's, yeah. that's where they started to kind of lose me i mean I, I remember that movie i mean it was a huge thing as a car person coming out and going through the movie the plot wasn't important but looking at the cars like especially the street race that you're in and when they they're, they're closing off the streets and he's sitting there in the yellow right hand drive skyline and everybody else is like well, that's cool and i'm like no i know what that is like i've seen the mm-hmm. magazines like you guys like it's like i don't i i knew I couldn't read Japanese, but I read the magazines and things like that. So it was really cool to see that kind of thing. So yeah, my FD. Yeah, the there time. was yeah. Oh, yes, the FD. The, I mean, the FD and the Supra became kind of iconic because of the film. But you know, I've got some insight to some of that, like the R thirty three. You know, uh, Yellow Bird. We borrowed it from Motorex, who were the importers at that time. We wanted to use Skylines as the main hero car, but we couldn't afford them. Uh, we couldn't afford four or five of them because we needed two or three to crash. Even the RX seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dom was, we were initially looking at having him in an NSX, um, but the same, you know, it was going to be too expensive. And so like, would he even up, fit in that? <laughs> yeah. But the RX-7 is pretty small too on the inside, I'd say, right? Yeah. The, the, so, the NSX is such a low roof line though. I always hit my head yeah. on the back. Like I, you got to yeah. carve the seat out. My FD, like I was crammed in it, but it was actually pretty comfortable. Right. I'm six one for reference. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we did end up doing some press stuff. With Vin in an NSX, I know he did. He did fit. He actually drag raced like one reporter. <laughs> um, you know where we had. I think we took two of my cars, my S two thousand, which was the villain's car. Yeah, and then my NSX and, and something. I think he raced someone from Access Hollywood, and they switched cars and all these things. But yeah, there's there's a couple of things that we didn't get to do just because we didn't have the budget to do it, um, which was just meant to be. Right at the end of the day, the, the RX seven was probably the right car. Um, versus the NSX, but we were trying to get to this level. Even the villain car, which ended up 
being my S2000, which is the same car in the first movie for the villain, and then the pink car in the second movie, which now sits at the Peterson, um, that was originally going to be like a full Hummin Z3 or Z4, if I remember correctly. Um, but same, it's like, oh, that's going to be too expensive to replicate. Like, what else can we find, you know? So I've, I've had this question since watching this movie, and, the, and it's, I've never had a chance to speak to somebody in the movie. As a consultant, did you have a problem when they were making scenes? Like, the classic scene that everybody has a problem with is the eclipse when the, the floorboard drops out. Like, yes. as somebody who knows the car world, and you're going, that has nothing to do with yeah. that. That's not what happened. Like, did, was that a, a problem on the movie? So as a consultant, it was pretty hilarious because they would ask me things, like. but not really listen. Ah, fair enough. Both Craig, both Craig and I. The four-way drag race is a great example. They came and said, hey, would, would, would people that street race, would they ever go four wide? We're like, no. Is it possible, though? Yeah, in certain, in certain like, at the time Ontario races were going, Ontario's big enough. You know, where it was, it was warehouse district, right? You could go four wide. They're like, so it's possible. Like, yeah, it's possible, but no one does it, but it's possible. It's like what they wanted to hear, right? Yeah. Even the, the the laptop with the manifold pressure, like, we got to do something where, like, something happens. Um, and they're like, RJ, do you guys, like, would you guys ever, do you guys tune on laptops? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, we, we plug the laptop in and get on go. the dyno yeah. and, you know, and do, and like, whether you have a DFI or a Tech 2, which was the systems that most people use at the time, you could, you know, you would use a laptop. Like, would you have it open during a street race? I'm like, no is it possible like yeah people like take their car out with a tuner in this the right hand seat and they'll tune as they're going like oh so it's possible like yeah but you would not have it like open you're when not you're, listening like, to me yeah. it's not a police <laughs> yeah, car yeah street race, you know? <laughs> and so like there was so many times that that would happen they would say rj it's not it's a movie not a documentary um and so it was kind of frustrating because they just you know there's certain things that they were like well 99 percent of the people won't get it and i'm and i'm, I'm like yeah but the one percent that it would matter to they would and they're like but it's not really going to matter and it ended up not mattering but it did it's kind of weird in that way well I, you know so i can personally say that you got me two tickets because after i saw the movie i put a playstation into my car and was playing it <laughs> at inappropriate times and got a ticket for it so yeah so thanks for that <laughs> I had yeah. I, because of that. I put a, uh, a PlayStation Two in the glove box of one of my cars, and I used to like. I would designate somebody would be a designated driver, and my friends and I would they'd go out and have drinks. Yeah. One of us would be sober. Seriously, no, we weren't irresponsible, but it was hilarious watching somebody semi drunk try and play Gran Turismo in the passenger seat of a car while yeah. somebody sober is driving, and they're like, "Oh my god, I'm going to die!" <laughs> it was like yeah, that, vomit and, inducing. <laughs> and that scene is is you know so great for me because of course I'm, I'm the one in it, but like. You know, worst Gran Turismo player of all time captured on film because it's like <laughs> they basically crashed a car on this bank that you shouldn't be able to crash. And so I always get these questions like, "Aren't you happy you crashed there?" I'm like, "Easy, you point, you turn the joystick and point it right." Like it was purpose. Like yeah. it, was, it wasn't like I was trying to drive, but and it, and it's pretty funny because I'm actually friends with Kazunori and the guys at Gran Turismo, and, and they're like, "Really? How did that happen?" I'm like. It's in there for comedic relief, but no one believes me. Like, you know, it's like, it's a 3000 GT, like that crashes on the bank. Like, you don't crash there. I know, I know. It made it even better. It was great. Yeah. So really fun. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm very proud and, and, you know, kind of to have been a small part of, of helping launch that franchise, of course, and having, you know, a car that I owned, you know, in it and, and be immortalized and now sits at the Peterson and, and whatnot and, there's definitely a lots of things, Nick, that you talked about, like, oh, like, you know, 
the the Motec exhaust system, which I know was a big topic for a lot of people. And all that happened was Paul forgot to say and it was Motec and exhaust system. And when we watched the dailies, it's like, oh, that's wrong. And they're like, oh, we can't reshoot that. And I'm like, right. but that's wrong. Yeah. They're like, oh, we're not going to reshoot that, you know. And so, I'm, and I'm like, man, if, if only Motec actually made exhaust systems. Or did it? Did so after the movie? They would have killed it, right? They should have just branded their name yeah. on something, like just partnered with uh, Apex or Gretty or something, or G Gretty, yeah, whatever. Or something, yeah, yeah, just like put the Motec system. Like it would have been perfect. I mean, yeah. And now you're in SEMA. You're like, you guys missed this. Like every time you see somebody from Motec, you're gonna be like, yeah. dude, you guys blew it. <laughs> so, but still a big part of of my history, of course, and that yeah. definitely paved the way for kind of the next stage of my career after being an editor. Um. And then, and then before I joined McGuire's and then before I joined Seymour. But it was a good eight to ten year run being a consultant because of that film. You actually sure. brought up a good point. I mean, I've worked with McGuire's and Tony with McGuire's through Concorso for years. Um, uh, how did you end up there? Because you were there for, what, like 12 years? 12 years, yeah. yeah. So uh, after the movie, it, you know, people found me because I was one of two consultants on this film. And youth car culture was just exploding because of the film, among other things. I mean, there was already this tide and this momentum before the film even came out and the film just kind of, you know, added rocket fuel to that, to that rocket. I think you mean NOS because everything got NOS. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like Three bottles of NOS and and two buttons. Um, And so, yeah, I was just really blessed and fortunate, you know, to, to be found and have the opportunity to help so many brands, you know, kind of, um, use youth car culture as a way to, to market whatever they were marketing, whether it was, you know, Pepsi Cola was, I was an ambassador and they were a client for five years, you know, Valvoline, a bunch of the OEMs, even some telecom companies like Boost Mobile. Um, but I worked on so many different things like TV, toys, video games, you name it. And then um, the recession was, was coming and I was looking to get out of it because I was kind of starting to get pigeonholed as like, the import tuner kid, you know, and I wanted to kind of expand the career. Um, and as the recession became closer and as I was, I was that, that was kind of starting this, uh, you know, where the economy was starting to slow down, like the clients became less, um, the overall kind of contracts became much lower. And so even starting 06, 07, I was starting to, you know, kind of slow down on, on that side. And I had started consulting for Meguiar's when they were acquired by 3M on a new business that they were looking to start and this that had to do with vehicle wraps. And so that was like 09, I think. And then I get, helped them get to SEMA with this, this line called Raptivo. And it was taking, you know, 3M films and, and instead of printing on them, you know, uh, and branding your van for your flower business or your real estate business, I, I had pitched this idea to use vehicle wrap as a way to change color quickly and protect your paint, you know, which wasn't really being done at that time. And so that became a real project and they wanted to bring someone in house full time. Um, and I remember it was offered to me and I turned it down. I'm like, oh, you know, hire whoever you want. And I'll consult with them. And uh, the, 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 the business leader who was managing Maguire's after the acquisition from, uh, from Barry Maguire was like, you don't understand. Like once I hire this, this business development manager, your consulting deal is done. I'm just offering it to you because I like the work you've done. And I was like, oh, and they're like, what do you know about 3M? I'm like, I don't know anything about 3M. He's like, you should look at our stock and our company. And, and so in my head, I thought I'd be there for two years, you know, to ride out the recession. And I ended up being there for 12 and learned a lot. So 
That's yeah, that's amazing. Wrapping everything has come just become a huge, huge business. Our we're, our partners at S Tech, man, like that's. I don't even know if I would paint a car anymore. They've become so good. There's not really much of a point unless you're doing repair work. But if for for color change, unless you're doing a full engine out, everything's coming off the car. But if you just want paint, like wrap it. And now you can paint it and peel it. That's the new thing. Too. Yeah, yeah, that's even crazier. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're leasing a vehicle, it's perfect. And and one of the reasons why it took off at the time was, if you guys remember, the, the matte black murdered out vehicles became so hot. Mm-hmm. And, and if you guys remember the first matte black you know, with the, the matte clear was so hard to lay down without the blotchiness. Mm-hmm. And, and I think like Lamborghini, it was like a $40,000 option, right? And, you know, if you bought the LFA, it was like a $35,000 yep. option. And so it had this mystique, like if you're going to murder out your your car, it wasn't one, it wasn't easy to do. I think one of the first ones I saw was, I think it was Ken Block's CLS that was built out in the East Coast somewhere. And I saw it at SEMA, oddly enough, and I was like, that looks so hard. Um, and I think I was like 05, 06, but then the vehicle wraps came with matte black. And all of a sudden, you can get that murdered out look without the blotchiness. And, and you know, the maintenance was a lot easier because if, if you screwed up a fender, you, you know, you, you just rewrap it, right? Versus, you know, trying to repaint the whole car. Yeah. I mean, you have had an amazing career, everything, like I said. I mean, you even did some a spokesman for Forza, which is a local up here. So, yeah, Forza 2. Yeah. yeah. and those guys, which is great. Yeah. But, great, great story with those guys, actually. Those guys are amazing, so. Please, tell us. Like yeah, I said, that's, do tell. That's definitely local. I mean, we, we one, of, <laughs> yeah. one of our uh, our, our co-podcasters who comes on time, from time to time works for Megan. Forza stuff. Megan. So. Yeah, Megan. Yeah. She works in licensing for yeah. Forza, okay. yeah. yeah. Oh, for Forza. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The turn, the turn 10 studio guys are really great. So, my... Relationship with Forza started after they launched number one. Um, there was a PR opportunity to race the game uh, virtually and then drive cars in real life like that very afternoon or the next day. And so they had reached out to me. I think it was Popular Science or someone that wanted to do this story. And so they grabbed two guys, uh, myself and Gunnar Jeanette, who's a professional race car driver. Yeah. And we drove cars in Forza and we drove it the next day. And you're like, hey, RJM, do you think you can give Gunner a good run for his money? You know, since you're the gamer guy that we got and Gunner's the driver. I'm like, no, not yeah. even close. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we know you run <laughs> things into sidewalls. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, not it. So, yeah. but it was a great, you know, kind of way to build a relationship with Forza. I ended up recommending so forza 2 you could modify your car right with wheels and different things and so i ended up being a consultant to help recommend the companies and body kits that you could you know mod your car with in forza 2 hence why there's still the roja wheel brand which was my wheel brand it's still in there uh even though it's you know in real life it stopped you know back in 2007 and then um even some cars that you could win i think you could there was like some some odd veil side cars that were like prize cars that you could yeah. win. So I recommended quite a few of those. And so I kind of have this history with them. And then I think for number three, I did some P- more PR work for them, but haven't done much of anything since. But whenever I get a chance to see Dan, who, who's the main creator of the game, I definitely like, like, you know, like to see where, where they're headed. And if I'm in Seattle, I, I try to visit the studio just to see what's going on. 
So yeah, I mean, it's amazing to see where they've gotten right from number one and, you know, kind of the, the lane that they've carved for themselves versus Gran Turismo, you know, and, and they're similar, but they're very different. You know, their physics models are very different. So, so yeah, it's been really cool because on Gran Turismo as well, I'd met some of the guys there and I think it was number three. They invi invited me. They were mapping Laguna Seca and Sears Point. So I got a chance to, to see them map the tracks, which was really cool. I even rode like a little BMX bike or something down the corkscrew with like some gloves and a helmet, which was hilarious. But yeah, never, never try to ride a bike around Laguna. That took forever. <laughs> yeah. There's vicious uphills there. Yeah. yeah yes, exactly why. And we did it just because we really wanted to like ride a bike down the corkscrews. We never, the guys from, from the game were like, who knows if you ever get a chance to do this again. So I would go down the corkscrew, but I don't know if I'd do the whole track. That, yeah, it's the going up part. That yeah. I really yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how did you how did you move on from all this and end up at SEMA? It seems right up your alley. I mean, it's just a yeah. perfect fit for you. So. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's one of those things where I'm a firm believer in that a lot of your success is 50% luck, 50% hard work. It's it's a uh, there's a guy that does a podcast, How I Built This, kind mm -hmm. of. And it's always like, he kind of asked that question, you know, and, and people answer it in different ways. But for me, I've been very lucky that, you know, I think one, you have to put yourself in a position to be lucky. And that's where I think the hard work and networking and all that kind of comes about. And so the SEMA thing for me, of course, I've, I've been many times and I've been, you know, in, through many facets, right? As an editor, as a car builder, as a business owner, as part of a big corporation. And I built a relationship with some people at SEMA in the 90s when they were doing something called International Auto Salon, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, was, of course, rooted in import car culture. So, you know, I kind of made some friends back then that, that left SEMA and then came back. And so one of them in particular, when the last VP of marketing had left, sent me a note because they had made an announcement that they were looking for someone and sent me, hey, like, did you see this announcement? I said, oh, yeah, I saw that. And I'm like, I didn't. You know, and, and I knew the guy because I worked with him at Peterson Publishing. Um, I'm like, I, I didn't know Ira left. And like, let me spread the word and help find someone. And she was like, hey, I'd actually really like to recommend you. Would you consider the role? And at that time, I was, you know, pretty comfortable at Maguire's. I think I was, you know, I was in year 12 or year 11 or something. And I was like, no, I'm good, you know. And she's like, no, I think you could really have an impact here. Um, please take a look at it. And so I did. And. You know, I'm, I'm a type of person that believes you should always, you know, interview when you have the opportunity because it'll either either tell you it's time to move on or it'll tell you like you're in the right place, right? And so I always I have that philosophy that you know you should always be kind of curious, you know, and to look where it's out there to understand your worth and, and whether you're happy where you're at. So as I kind of went through the interviews for the role. I started to really do some soul searching and, and think about my purpose, you know, in life, which to me is really just helping people and organizations build better versions of themselves, but very specific to automotive because it's an industry that I love. It's my whole career is in it. So I thought about, you know, the impact that I could have, you know, working for an organization like SEMA and being able to contribute more to this culture that's really helped me make, who, you know, make me who I am today, right? And so I just felt like there, there was a, an opportunity to, to maybe start programs and, and help with programs that could helpfully inspire more people to fall in love with customization and personalization 
And really, that's why I moved to SEMA. You know, we, we have a new CEO, Mike Spagnola, who I knew for a long time. And, and he reached out after he took the role and we had some conversations. And and really, he could, you know, he, he was one of the main people that helped convince me, even though I was already in my head, like, I could probably do more working for an organization like SEMA than I could do working for an organization like Meguiar's and 3M. And even there, I was already doing lots of things with influencers and helping the organization look at other events. But I really felt like there's this next level that I could, you know, you know, potentially hit in terms of the ability to create, you know, programs that really inspired uh, and really kind of hopefully prolonged this love for, you know, modifying and personalizing, customizing cars, which really is rooted at, at the purpose of, of the association itself, right? We're here to, you know, help our membership base, you know, prosper and succeed. But part of that is ensuring that this culture that we all love stays around, right? Stays protected and is, is prolonged. So, and it's, as you guys know, with, with all the things that are happening within government, that's becoming more and more a thing that we need to advocate for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it was so easy to get race parts back in the day. Let's put it that way. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and parts in general, right? So, yeah. I mean, the laws have, have always been there. I think the enforcement yeah. is getting more stringent. So we as an organization are, are definitely trying to do our part to educate our membership base on what it takes to test products, develop products, um, and then you know go through the process of, of 49 state compliance. And then if, if they wanted to do California carb compliance, right? And so, you know, there's been a number of companies that we've helped through the years. And that part of our membership benefit and, and association values is becoming a bigger part of our business, you know, to really, we just opened a garage in Detroit that's three times the size of our garage here in LA uh, that does a lot of product development, EPA, te- you know, and, and all the testing things that you need to do to become EPA or carb compliant. Um, and it's important because, you know, we want to make sure that we, the companies that make those products are able to offer it to these people, to these enthusiasts that want to, you know, continue to, to modify their car, me being one of them. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I bought another S2000 just a year ago and, and mainly because I knew Greddy was making a version two of their turbo kit that they were, you know, um, looking to certify and make carb compliant, which, which happened. And, and so it took a while. Um, but then, you know, as soon as it did, I was able to, to buy this turbo kit and, and, you know, um, have it installed on, on the project. So sweet. Having yeah, the inside I, track a little bit, I think, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I want another. S2000. I love that car. Uh, it's such a great car. It's I mean, it's of all the Hondas car. that I've had, had the pleasure of tuning. It's, it's probably top one, two besides maybe the NSX. SX, and I would, yeah. I would dare to uh, Integra type R is also really good. Um, I would say, that it's from a joy of driving, I think, and, and some people are going to argue the comments might blow up on this on NSX versus S2000. Um, it's just they're different. different. Yeah, yeah, very different. I'm, I'm not, yeah, I've driven both many, many times, and I love my S2000. I love how small it is. I love how it feels light, even if it, in comparison, is not, it's not a huge weight difference on paper, but it, it feels light, drives light, it's got killer transmission so does the nsx but man the transmission my s2000 was perfection and then like you said you had a turbo kit because it in i do think it needs more power <laughs> and so yeah nowadays you, it does back yeah then, now, maybe not yeah back then it was just fun to rev it out but you can still yeah. rev it out with a good turbo kit and get all that high rpm fun but also right. like 
actually go somewhere because you were revving the piss out of it to get anywhere back in the day but man it was fun yeah. to drive and it got got pretty squirrely in the to be in such a short wheelbase it's a great car though yeah i think it's the, the more nimble of the two the nsx definitely feels more sports cars with the yeah. engine if you compare nsxr to s2000 a little bit of a different story but you know, yeah. i had a 91 na1 nsx for 12 years uh and so such comparing the two and you know, I only had the S2000 for about two years, but, you know, Dan, to your point, that transmission is, I mean, top three, top two that yeah. I've ever driven, I'd say. I mean, maybe yep. I had a Porsche Cayman that, that that would be the one that rivals it in terms of the, the transmission feel and the shortness and, and the crispness of it, you know. And even now I drive the, the new, the, you know, I have an AP2 now versus an AP1. Yeah, it's it's hard to beat that transmission. It's it's definitely one of the best, and even the positioning of it, right? Yep. Um, it's in a really good spot from a driver ergonomics perspective. And of course, you have to be a certain size because you, you definitely there's a, there's a there's a limit where it's like the S two thousand just doesn't fit because you can't you know you can't telescope the steering wheel and, and all of those things. And, I'm definitely too big for that car. It was still good, but I was always looking like even, but even modern cars now with the way crash uh, testing is done, the windshields are all lower because the, they yeah. lower the center of gravity and that crash bar is lower. So even like a Corvette, which you would think would be a massive American car, I was actually still too tall for it, but especially oh, wow. like I could fit in the S2000, but I'm still like the, uh, the visor is more like right at my eyebrows than it is above my head, which is annoying, but still like you said, that driving that transmission, I compare everything to it. But you're right; the Porsches live up to the hype, and the the Caymans, um, well, or Boxsters, but the especially the RSs, man, that's a that's a on the list of listeners. If it's on, if you need to put that on the list of the cars you need to drive just to drive it once, because that is a very perfectly sorted car. So. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a story that. Um... Pete from Triple Zero Magazine, which is Porsche specific, mm-hmm. right? It's it's kind of like a, I mean that magazine is beautiful. It's basically a coffee table book every issue. Yep. Um, but he told me a story that the SU thousand was one of he was told by Porsche that it was one of the cars they had bought and dismantled, you know, and like took apart, and, and they acknowledge how well Honda had done in, in making that car, which is rare from the Germans, right? For them to kind of give a nod, you know, and. and I don't think that sh- story has been ever sh- shared out, you know, and I don't think they acknowledge it. But, yeah, I think the S2000 is kind of like that good, you know, and, and mm-hmm. much in the same way, you know, I'm sure, you know, in, in at, at some of the other makes, everyone buys a 911 and dismantles it and goes, yeah, the, the Germans from Wysak, they, they did this right, you know. Yep. Well, I mean, Dan, you proved you can drive an S2000 across Montana in the middle of a snowstorm. So, I mean, it does uh, yeah, really everything. It, it so, does yeah. great in the snow with the right tires. <laughs> wow. I picked I picked mine up. Um, boy, this is like 15 years ago now. I picked up an AP1 out of um, just outside of St. Louis, this little tiny regional airport, and it was January. And I picked it up and drove it all the way back in the middle of winter. And I get through somewhere in Montana, some truck stop, and I'm fueling up, and it's like zero and I can like the ice is forming on the inside of the convertible top. And a guy, I said, is the pass open? And I had put, uh, <laughs> I had put winter tires on it, but they were like takeoffs from another car. The only thing I could get over there at the time that would fit. And I'm driving back and the guy looks at the window, the car. He's like, you're effing crazy, man. <laughs> he's like, it's open, but I don't know if you'll make it. And I just snow plowed the way, but it made it all the way home. Just fine. That car was unstoppable. Freaking loved it. It's just easy on the gas. Yeah. Anyway, what cars, I mean, you've seen everything you've driven everything. What, what's out there now that's really catching your attention. Um, 
or even something that still is like something that's I, i'm just curious what uh someone with the inside track is really excited about or still excited about yeah what do you know that we should know come on yeah <laughs> spill the beans well, I, I i think you need to look at different genres right because there's yeah. definitely the love for things that are analog like the s2000 and even before then things that are even more classics like 964s or, or things of that nature or yeah. things from the 60s or you know, I think every generation of car has its own essence that we, you know, that we fall in love with as car enthusiasts. So looking down the future, I think, you know, there's, there's kind of a couple of roads because there's different types of propulsion that hopefully will become the options of the future, right? So of course there's the, e, the BEV space, battery electric. And, you know, I, initially I wasn't the biggest fan, you know, I'd driven a couple of Teslas and they're just not sporty. No, one trick pony. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're kind of like iPhones on wheels. And I think the what they're able to do from a technology standpoint is pretty, pretty amazing, right? Uh, and then I drove a Taycan Turbo S. And I was like, OMG, it's such a different type of yeah. Porsche, P car. Um, but it, it, like it, man, the way it turned was very flat is my best, my, my best description. So if you were on a bridge on a freeway or something because the batteries were so low and because it accelerated a certain way, it, it, it didn't feel like it had much body roll, which was, and it, you know, it was amazingly fast in the way electric cars are fast in, in terms of the instantaneous kind of pedal to the floor acceleration that only electric motors could give you. And so that kind of opened my eyes. So that did excite me in a way that's like, wow, never thought I'd like an electric car, you know, but I drove that and I thought it was really cool. And, I'm someone that's fairly open. I'm, I'm not like, has to be carbureted, has to be fuel injected, has to be electric. I kind of love it all for different reasons. And I'm also really curious at the future of hybrid technology um, and what that's going to be able to do. I think, you know, of course, the new 911 structured to, to become a hybridized vehicle, right? And so I remember when, you know, the, the there's different versions of the Holy Trinity, but when, um, uh, La Ferrari 918 and P1 came out. Yeah, and and all the journalists talked about how, from a cornering speed perspective, you had to like it. it kind of blew your mind because there was nothing ever before, regardless of how much stability control and traction control was available, that could corner in the way these new hybridized supercars could. Because you now you could adjust the speed of the wheel not just by ABS and braking, but you can actually speed it up, right? And so, you know, I think that technology was a little early in the new NSX, typical Honda, a little bit early, and then it yeah. wasn't successful. Took them a while to and get it there, but yeah. Yeah. yeah the new and, Type S is great, yeah. but yeah. And so now they're phasing it out, but everyone's starting to phase it in, like McLaren's yeah. Artura and the 296 from Ferrari and, and, of course, the 911. And so I'm very curious to see how – this hybrid technology and the next cars. Cause I think it is going to give you a different driving experience. It's that's nowhere near analog. That's going to be its own deal. And so people love like, you know, the 997, right? Last Metzger, last hydraulic steering, you know, and now we're in this age of the like electronic power steering. And so I feel like this, this next version of hybridized sports cars are going to much like the NSX, although, you know, the NSX wasn't um, just like the last NSX. There was kind of like came a little too early, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it's going to be, I think the thing of, of the future 
because it's going to give you a lot more speed in so many different ways where like the, the electric or the hybrid system is going to fill in when you don't have enough power in the mid range and the low end. It's going to allow you to have just insane cornering speeds like 918 LaFerrari and P1, you know? So you know, I'm excited by those things because it's slightly different. That being said, the latest collector car that I bought is a, you know, twin turbo V8 <laughs> that isn't hybridized. So I'm still, I'm, I think I come from that generation. So I, of course I love, I love, you know, the ice engines and, and this, this kind of last generations of, of ice engines that we're going to have as we of course march toward lower emissions vehicles that's going to need either a synthetic fuel version or a, you know, BEV version or a hybrid version or a, you know, a biodiesel version, you know, and that's really exciting too, to see what they're able to do on that front. I wish somebody would hit the sweet spot. I've been saying it for years. Like if you give me 30 to 40 miles of our electric range in an actual plug-in electric vehicle, but no more, I don't want any more than that. Cause I don't want the weight, but just give me that 30, 40 miles of range. I can go to and from work every day and not burn a drop of fuel. But when I punch it out of a corner, I just want it to take over. But I want that full EV mode. Like I really do want it because man, that would save me a fortune in gas. And I have basically free charging at work because I work in corporate, of course. So we all have, you know, hundreds of electric chargers. But I'm with you. I don't want the Tesla. It's too heavy. It just feels like a normal sedan with, like you said, an iPhone on wheels. And I think they went with that full, I mean, they call it like a, you know, a skateboard design where how many, how many things can we put on this same chassis, maximize profits and, you know, in a startup mindset, that's important. I get why they did it. But now it's like, no, Porsche did it the other way, sort of a, like, how do we add so much performance to this? And yeah, let's not focus so much on making this the most universal platform we can provide, but let's make it like a performance electric vehicle. And I think there's a sweet spot that's like like the NSX or something like that, or like the new E-Ray that's coming out from Chevrolet. Like, just give me that 30, 40 miles of electric range so that I can do zero miles to the, you know, zero gas all the way to work and all the way home. And then when on the weekend, I want to go carve mountains, I got the same car. So I can literally have a commuter car that's got as much horsepower and torque as a diesel truck <laughs> you know it's yeah and, and, and for me i think at some point in my life the bev car will have its purpose mm-hmm. um especially if it's more of a commuter car dan to your point you know and so like i'm 30 miles from the office and i'm usually in traffic so if there's a car that can get me there autonomously when i'm sitting in traffic anyway but that. I'll take it by all means, right? Yep. Uh, and then there's, there, and I think for many enthusiasts, they always have their fun car, whatever their fun car is or fun cars. Um, and that's where like something that's either hybrid or, or, you know, a full ice motor. I mean, I'm really excited about synthetic fuels. I know, you know, Porsche is doing a lot of work in it, of course, with F1, you know, mandating, you know, kind of synthetic fuels in 2026, that's going to accelerate things. But I was at Festival of Speed and Sebastian Vettel had bought, two old F1, you know, 90s world championship cars. I think one's a Williams, Nigel Manson's, and another's a McLaren. I think one is Senna's, right? And, and he's doing something called Race Without a Trace, um, where he's converted both of those cars to run on some sort of synthetic fuel that's that's basically carbon neutral. Yeah, they pull um, it from the air, I think. It's, it's a number of things. There was a chart yeah. that I saw that that's on his website, um, and so I'm really curious to see how that evolves and, and can you even make more power, you know, by, by developing these synthetic fuels somehow, some way. So, yeah, I'm, it's a scary time for a lot of people uh, in the industry, uh, both OEM and aftermarket. I have quite a few concerns on the OEM side that are 
very happy they retired before this madness. Uh, and then I have others that are just super excited because change brings opportunity, right? So, you know, I do hope, you know, and we as SEMA, what we're advocating for is, you know, the opportunity for these technologies to continue to evolve and be worked on. You know, I definitely there are some mandates, as you guys know, that are coming down the pike that are being proposed that it's, you know, all new cars are, are EV only. And, you know, you know, as, as an organization, our, our, you know, push is that, you know, let the market decide, let all the technologies be developed, right? Um, whether it's, yeah. you know, BEV or hybrid or synthetic fuel or biodiesel or things of that nature. Well, unfortunately, I think a lot of the electric grid is, is, is telling us that that's not going to work right now. And, you know, Dan and I just did a, a, a podcast for the Amer- America's Automotive Trust, and we were talking about, and one thing I brought up was EVs and off-road, because I like to do a lot of overlanding and stuff like that. And the general consensus in my mind was it scared me because I didn't, if I'm off, if I'm off road and I put pierce a gas tank, I can probably fix that or figure it out. If I pierce a battery, I've got a really big ecological issue and things like that. But yeah. you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I like the internal combustion engine. I don't think we're going to win this, but um, I, I like, I like to see what's happening. And that's what I love about SEMA and the fact that they're really out there working with all these people to make it, you know, I want to still be able to work on my car. And I feel like a lot of times you, you know, you pop the hood on a Tesla and you put your luggage in the front and you move on. You don't, you can't work it. You can't modify it. Like some people have, of course, but I look at it as like, yeah. you can modify a hot wheels to go a lot faster. Not a hot wheels. What do you call them? The, the, uh, the kids cars. Oh, um, Pinewood Derby. No, the, oh, the ones they the, ride around. Oh, power in. wheels. Power wheels. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yes. yeah, you can modify a power wheels to go a lot faster. This is just a, a much larger scale of that. And you'll just be part software engineer, part electrical engineer versus part internal combustion, you know, technician slash mechanic. I don't know. I think I look at it in parallel. I think we are in the spot in history, which obviously repeats itself. I think we are at the age of the rise of the catalytic converter where it's out there and it's the future and we all have to shift to it. And then there's going to be this really shitty time where we build a bunch of cars that we say are performance cars, but they have like 170 horsepower, hence the 84 Trans Am and the, <laughs> you know, the, the end of the Corvette era. But then you look at now and our almost thousand horsepower internal combustion engines are meeting California emissions. There's a peak in a valley and there's struggle times. And I do have faith in the, consumer especially the american consumer who's like fast must go fast above all things and must have power <laughs> and we are going to struggle with that and we're going to butt heads with the government on it but i think it'll come around and i think we'll do the same thing with our iphones that keep shrinking and our phones that keep shrinking and thinner and we had the nokia brick and before that we had the alkaline batteries cancer stick strapped our head the zach morris phone and now we're down to this and now we're choosing to make things bigger because we can. I think the same thing is going to go with electric cars. It's going to get smaller. It's going to get lighter. It's going to become standard. It's just going to take some time. And so. Yeah. I love the Saved by the Bell right? the reference there, though. <laughs> for, for, for those listening, Absolutely. you know what that is. Absolutely. You're definitely yeah. uh, not aging yourself, but showing. Yeah. We're showing the, where we came the, from. The era. Yeah. yeah, yeah the era yeah. That, you, that we grew up in. So One one part of technology that I'm really excited, and I'm going to use Koenigsegg as, as an example, is some of the transmissions that are coming out of there. I mean, that new CCX yeah. that's got a manual transmission, but if you want to pop it into like basically seventh gear, it's, a, it's an automatic, and that amazes me. I love that technology, and I think that's going to trickle down into some more efficient engines. I mean, you look at what they're doing with that four-door passenger car of theirs that has like a four-cylinder in it, and Jamera, it's, it's Jamera, yeah. yeah, and it's still got a 1,000 horsepower takes four yeah. people like cool i can get behind that like i said 
So yeah. that'll be neat. I think they have a four. They just announced an eight too that makes like two thousand. Even because that's yeah. what you need. I, mean, I need to get to the store. <laughs> eight, yeah, that's what we all need. You know. I've never no, needed less power. I've just needed a better chassis and better brakes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not yeah, going to turn it down, you, but you know. <laughs> I think you bring up a great point. It's you know, there's been moments in automotive history that are inflection points, right? Even moving from the carriage to steam cars to you know, um, you know, uh, gasoline-powered cars to carbureted era to fuel-injected era. And even the last era that we've been in, that's kind of a pseudo part of fuel injection areas, most cars going direct injection turbo, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a turbo phase and we got phased out and we kind of came back into it because it just burns so much cleaner now when you do direct injection. Um, but now, you know, this, this, what is the next, right? Is, is it just EV or is it a bunch of these different options? So I'm hoping the latter. I think we're all hoping the latter. And, and again, very very um interested to see what happens with synthetic fuels and, and even hydrogen powered ice engines you know and yeah how, water vapor yeah toyota's really working on that and i think Le Mans and the the you know that form of racing wants to go to, to full hydrogen by 2030 so that's another technological option you know depending on on what they figure out as they test it in the racing side and then apply it to, to road cars right so yeah, super exciting. I'm sure it's super scary for a lot of people as well. And, you know, for me joining SEMA, it's funny. I never really looked at the government side of things or the government affairs side of things. And I've really learned a lot that I would, that I would have never learned in an organization like 3M or, or McGuire specifically, which is super, super just enthusiast based. So it's definitely giving me some new experiences. Well, and also the three of us, we came from the Save by the Save by the Bell generation, where we tried to do things what the government and the police didn't know we were doing. So, you, know, you can't modify that. Well, I did. <laughs> yeah, well, that's always going to be a part of kind of this um, counterculture kind of piece of of mm-hmm. being young, because when you're young, you just want to be different. Well, you know, there's this whole mo- movement that you want you want to find a movement to be a part of, and then it just becomes part of your life, right? So yeah, but it's the car culture, like I said. I mean, it, it, no matter yeah. what, if you do you like Fast and Furious or not, it, you know, it was family. It was a, it, it's a joke, but it was it's the car culture, getting together, yeah. everybody talking, talking about their modifications. Which suitcase did you go to Japan? What, what you know, which one can I get coilovers in? Yeah. Which one can I get an intake in? Yeah. Things like that. So yeah. Well, I still go to easily one to four car meets every weekend. Um, partly okay. I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I'm, I have a little <laughs> bit more flexibility. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I love it, you know, and, and I love, you know, bringing, you know, I, I really have the kind of two cars right now that I interchange with that are the fun cars that isn't the daily. And yeah, just to talk to people and, and connect with people and yeah, look at Nick to your point, like, Oh, how'd, how'd you mod that? Like, you know, or, or like you've, there's people like bringing, you know, cars from Europe or cars from Japan or, you know, bringing a car and then like taking parts off it and, and put it like, so many cars like, are aging like in a, too, where we can get them into the yeah, United States now too. Yeah. 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 A lot yeah. of the M wagons, mm-hmm. right. I'm seeing a lot of those. I wish you know, finally, I yeah. really do. Yeah. 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 yeah there's quite a few in, in Orange County that have, that have popped up or they're either brought from Europe or they got converted with some parts like, uh, there's a purple, I forget what BMW is it ultraviolet. You know, it's like a ultraviolet yep. E36. Oh, love that. Wagon. So cool. M3 wagon, so rad. 
Yeah, so, I mean, we only had to beat on Audi for how many years yeah. to get the RS6 Avant over here, and then and then BMW yeah. came out with that the the, the M3 wagon. Oh, the I M3 want that wagon so bad. So yeah. So yeah, I think I we gonna... always used to salivate like at everything that Europe got. Oh, we're yeah. like, Why don't you bring it here? Mm-hmm. Give yeah, us all the was... wagons. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. We become an SUV country or SAV SUV country. <laughs> So, which is just a lifted wagon at the end of the day, especially the SAVs, you know? Yeah. Well, that was what the uh, Eagle, what was the AMC? Was it AMC Eagle? Yeah, AMC Eagle yeah. was like the first, you know, Forester, you know, lifted wagon, I think. Yeah. In mass production, anyway. Pre Subaru, Subaru, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Subaru Brad. Yeah. But um, what are your go to mods? I want to, as someone who's been doing this for your whole life and has really had been in the industry, like, what are the things that you think, like, really make a car better? Like, I mean, wheels uh, are a big, a, kind of a given. But... Yeah, there's definitely stylistic things and then there's yeah. performance things, right? So I don't, I'm, I might have only ever owned one car that didn't lower on wheels. And, and being as a person that had kind of my own wheel brand at, at a certain yeah. part of my career, like, that to me is like the number one thing, like stance and the right wheels completely transform a car, like, like nobody's business. And, and at yep. least, the, and actually with the stance, especially if you're doing coilovers or even some of the new air suspension technology, it just handles better. So you yep. kind of get the best of both worlds outside of, you got to get used to driving it. You got to get used to scraping because <laughs> depending on how low you go. And, and usually the lower you go, the, the better it looks and, until you get to a point that it's, there, there's too much camera. There's definitely a group of people that's the way they want it to sit but a car looks really right when it's just sitting on a tire for some reason yeah i don't know why that is it just looks good um when a car is sitting like right on the tire no right? wheel or gap even yep. a little bit yep. no yep. wheel gap right exactly do you know john zubrick's m3 by chance it's pretty famous red m3 e30 he's from up here but his car okay. is like the the e30 m3 Same. and he's got these gorgeous bbs wheels period correct he actually switches mm-hmm. them up you probably know it from when he puts the white te37s on it of all okay. wheels yes anyway so his car in my opinion and I've told him this too is the perfect stance not yeah. too low not too high uh, tuck yeah. just perfect like oh it just you're, you're dead on it makes totally changes a car yeah you just so those, have to get some armor up front <laughs> so that's usually my first it, whether it's springs to lower it even my daily has springs and I, I opted for the lower version or the, a lot of times they'll call that the race one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know, it's, it's two inches or 1.8 versus 1.2 or whatever it is. And then wheels like choosing the right set of wheels. You know, that's usually, you know, I, as I've gotten older, most of the stuff isn't as modded as I was younger. The S2000 is one of the first that I've done power mods and, and all these other things. Um, but that's usually the go-to is wheels and, and lowering. You know, the exhaust used to be kind of a a third all the time, mm-hmm. and maybe not as much now. Like, you know, the the, the newest car hasn't gotten an exhaust yet or or a, or a B pipe upgrade yet. You know, I'm kind of contemplating it. But so many cars have valves now. The valve exhaust. It's like. And I know I'm getting older too that I don't like it as obnoxious as I used to. Thank you. Where I can't <laughs> yeah. where I can't hear myself. Yeah. And and even the last collector car, which was an SLS, had a race exhaust on it. And when I put it on a manual mode, I loved it. But then when I tried to cruise around it, it was like I can't even call anyone, yeah. you know, because like, it's I, it's so loud. 
I love the valve exhaust now though, because yeah. I do still like the noise. I just don't want it all the time. And all so I time, had a, yeah. I had the valve exhaust on my uh, stock on my C7 Z06. So when I put it in an X pipe and got rid of the secondary cats, mm-hmm. it was perfect because in sport mode, it was just seemed kind of normal, quiet, not a sound. Neighbors didn't hear it at all. Right. And then as soon as it was in track mode, it was like, you're not sneaking up on anything yeah. and through yeah. tunnels around here. You'd, like people would back off the car was so yeah. loud. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. So it's, everything. That's changing you know, kind of my must-haves on a car. Um, and then there's other things. I, I do like it when a car has a front lip, especially if, if the bumper is coming in a little too much, right? I feel like the front lip kind of rounds the car out, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of big wings anymore. I, I definitely had my time with the big wings. And, you know, unless it's like... RS. You're try- yeah, unless it's yeah. RS or, or you're like, try, you know, doing like, you know, track events on the weekends, weekend warrior, like open lapping days. Yeah. Well, um, also a lot of yeah, these, the RS is one of the few cars where it looks just right. A lot of these cars these days, the things we used to do as far as the, the computer upgrades and things like that are built into the cars, like the BMWs. We now have giant screens in every car. That's the one thing we always wanted to do. You always, you always wanted to have the pop out screen, <laughs> you know, and now you can go in there and you can change, look at McLaren. You can go in there and change the drift angle, which I don't think they should let people do. <laughs> <laughs> you crash this car you'll be fine so so many of those yeah. upgrades that we were we used to go you know hunt down and try to find somebody to program sure you're getting it from the factory so yeah yeah some of the screens are a little too big i, yes. I sat in the new sl mercedes and which is also the same interior for the new um, amg gt isn't it all just one yeah. screen that, now <laughs> well it's just like it looks like a a gigantic ipad it oh. kind of moves so it comes out of the glare but it's it's almost like you put a computer monitor oh. in the car and it's just too, you know, and I get it because yeah. Tesla has it, but in an AMG GT, I don't know if that's something I would want in the, in, in the car, you know? So I'm interested to see how that evolves. I know Aston Martin has a different philosophy with their EB12 and how they're treating interiors of the future. It's like a hybrid of like buttons and touchscreen, which I think just looks better. Like I like know, that tactile feel of a button though. Like a being able to click something. And, so. and, so, and sometimes you want to be able to easily find it. So I think the pendulum will swing back a little bit mm-hmm. where there's, you know, I think there's too many. There's a, I think some cars right now, everything you got to do through a screen and you got to go through like five menus. I hate it. Which is, which yeah. is it's great until yeah, it breaks right? and you can't turn the heat off. You know, <laughs> something yeah. Like oh. yeah. Speaking of which, uh, that actually happened. My Raptor right now, the screen keeps flickering in and out. So I have to take it in. And yeah, guess what happens? I can't control or see what the heat or temperature oh. is at unless that stupid screen yeah. works. Yeah. And I'm just like, of course, you know, it's a Ford. It's not saying much. But at the same time, like, yeah, it's, um, they didn't. I don't know if they executed it properly because it's right. the the interior is very controversial on it. But the C eight Z O six, the C eight Corvette, how everything waterfalls down, is exceptionally functional because yeah. everything has a different tactile feel. Yeah. And uh, when I drove one, I was like, oh, okay. I don't necessarily like the way it looks so much, but it actually works really well. So I got to give them some credit where it's due for function. It does. It is very much like a cockpit, and I like that. But yeah, I, I prefer the classic interior of the even the new Porsches pulled it off really well with the one analog Page, center dial yeah. yeah and then everything else it looks it meshes yeah. well yeah you talked about you drove the corp what do you guys what cars excites you guys like i'm, I'm curious to oh. like, what have you guys driven and, and what's like oh yeah it, it, it's tickling the fancy you know as i've gotten older and i've, I've converted over I, I do a lot more off-road stuff like i mean overlanding and stuff like that but I mean, yeah. I've talked about the McLarens, the, you know, the, the the 570s and things like that. There's just such a comfortable car. 
we've talked about it a hundred times on the show. Um, McLaren Bellevue gave us the cars for the week and we put a thousand miles each on them because I dailyed it. And I, yeah, cause I wanted mm-hmm. to see if you could do it, you know, and sure I had to go to the store six or seven times, but you know, it's fine. But, um, it was a comfortable uh, car. It's a chassis it's thing. A chassis. I love the chassis on the McLarens. Yeah. And it's and I and I liked the they've pretty much gotten gotten away from it now with the new ones, but the I liked the po- post MP412C, there was a sweet spot the between the 650, the 675 yeah. in there where they still had some turbo lag mm-hmm. and it just wasn't quite smoothed out yet and I actually loved the way that felt when I drove it. It felt it felt a little more connected to a car that was really well sorted out even though they have all their issues. Um, but what am I excited about? I like a car that scares me. Anything that uh, makes me hold. <laughs> I like a car that makes me re- uh, restrain myself. And you that like typically the, means the, the butt pucker cars. Yeah. And yeah. not just from acceleration, but like something that, yeah, yeah, something that feels like it's on the ragged edge all the time. Yeah. And so that typically is an indicator of a not well-designed chassis or suspension system. But at the same time, I'm driving on the street 99% of the time. And so if I can get a little excitement going to the grocery store, then that's kind of fun. So AMG GTs, Corvettes, Mustangs, Vipers, um, stuff like that. I, and I've had, I, I had a Turbo S, I had a GTR, I had the S2000, the RX-7. Like I've had cars that are really built, built to handle and they are awesome and they have their place and I love them. But at the same time, they are almost too predictable, right? Yeah. And it's not that I realized that the car was saving me most of the yeah. time. Fully yeah. admit my, the car skill was above mine. I'm yeah. not a racer. And so with that said, I, I like to have something that says, all right, we're going to do this. And it's switch your, switch your mind on mode. This isn't something you do multitasking. This is a driver's car. Okay. And yeah. I'm, I, I like have, that a little bit. I think you bring a good point. There's, there's a place where there's a crossover, the cars driving you versus your driving the car. Right? GTR, I think, is a great example of that. Even McLaren's Even Turbo S. You yeah. know, 720 and Turbo S, like really, really fast cars. But I don't want to call them soulless because they, they stop soul. No. But they're not as um, engaging, to your point, Dan, where it's like, I've got to think about driving this, you know, versus like, there's so many aids and you, you, you feel like you're, you're a, you know, uh, a Hamilton Verstappen kind of level driver when you're not. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm significantly faster in every car with those aids. A hundred percent. I mean, like, there's no contest that my Turbo S was the fastest car I've ever had by leaps and bounds. But it was probably 50% me, 50% car. The speed I had in my Z06 was probably 80% me, 20% car, even though it has a ton of electronic aids that also saved my right. ass, especially with, you know, rev matching downshifts yeah. and things like that that I love. But at the same time, man, I had that car wrong a few times and I'm coming out of a corner 60 miles an hour and it's, it's in a slide and it's like, okay, right. I know what to do here and I got to think about it. The Turbo yeah. S is like, nah, just point it where you want to go, slam the gas nice. down, I'll figure it out and you got yeah. it. <laughs> So, I, yeah, it's a big gray area, right? Yeah. I'm really interested to see how people are going to use these new Huracan Stradato and the, the 911 Dakar. Mm. I want to see people actually use them for what they're, you know, to take them and beat them up. And I, I love that idea because you look at, you. I mean, obviously Porsche, if you don't know, has has taken cars off-road for a long time. I mean, with the 969 they took, right? They took that up. That was, was it, Dan? 
Which oh, one? The, the 959. Yeah, they won Paris to the car. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, yeah. it's, I, I love seeing that stuff. And I want to see people... I'm seeing so many video people taking delivery in this, and I'm going, you're never... You know, you're, you put the rack on yeah. the top and you got the tire. You're never going to go off-road. But, like, yeah. Lamborghini and Porsche <laughs> built these cars to go do that, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to well, see that. Well, there is a market for it. I mean, if you look online, there's some, some of my favorite videos on YouTube are GT3 RS Rally. Mm-hmm. Just look that up. Mm-hmm. And guys road rally these things typically in europe um and they use them a lot of tarmac a lot of gravel but like that mixed condition i'm like man you could just take one of these off the showroom floor and hit it and i hope yeah. somebody Actually rich does enough that. just yeah. does it <laughs> nobody's gonna give me one, one to do, but yeah yeah, yeah. Be, i think that'll be one or two for sure i mean i think chris harris you know i think porsche set up something where he drove at a, a rally cross or a kind of yeah. style track you know so so I got a question for you, and maybe you got you already know this. As far as SEMA this year, what's going to be the car of the year for SEMA? Is it still going to be the 300? Um, I mean, obviously, when we, you know, every year you see kind of the one car that everybody kind of modifies. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the genre. I mean, I think Broncos still have a great still, run. Yeah. You know, uh, Jeeps never, or they're always plentiful. Yeah. And I think, Nick, to your point, overlanding is, is so big or has been so big a lot since pandemic, right? Even before pandemic, yeah. there was this momentum, and then Running away from everybody, even yeah. Bigger, because you couldn't fly anywhere, yeah. right? So you, you, you kind of went overlanding a lot more and camping and all those things. So I think that segment's going to continue to thrive and Bronco and, and Jeep will continue, you know, uh, to be kind of really popular cars. And even, you know, the Raptor, Dan, to your point, and the TRX, I think those are going to continue to be hot. On, on the sport compact or import performance side, I mean, you know, I think 400Z is still going to be a big one. I think still... You know, yeah. I think that and, and the new BRZ F eight six are are still going to be the cars that are, are being modded within that space. I, I do see a movement towards you know people buying eighties and nineties cars. Of course, you know there's the influx of R thirty two R thirty three GTRs because they're now available. Um, you know, I think there's more and more of them that we're seeing that are that are being you know bought and and modded or at least accessorized, right? So. On the muscle car side, I mean, I think new Mustang, of course. Um, I don't know if people will have it in their hands to modify and bring to SEMA by then, because I knew we're, do- we're doing the measuring day soon. So I don't think you'll see as many as maybe next year SEMA, because the Mustang's such a big car, yeah. right? Um, and, and not the, the Mach-E Mustang, but the, the new one, the two-door yeah. coupe yeah. Mustang, right? So yeah. Nighthawk or whatever it's called, the, 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 new, the new one. I did see the GTD at, at Car Week. That thing is insane. That's an insane car. Yeah. 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 Cool, like, like Jim Farley, yeah. you know, like yeah. golf clap. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yes. Like, All of I us mean, are like, thank you. Yeah. Was... yeah. I mean, $300,000 for a Mustang is insane. But then you like read about like exactly what you get with it, which is basically like a GT3, you know, car with yeah. license plates. You know, I know, I know Porsche has their GT2 kind of like, you know, body and white club sport that you can buy, but it's track only. Like what? Yeah. Yep. And some people are going to, you know, license that somehow, some way, but like the GTD is like, no, 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 you just register it. Like, well, holy, I, I, holy moly. I had the opportunity to sit down with Steve, Celine and Molly Celine, and I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with that new Mustang and get their hands on it. Mm. So stuff like that would be good. Yeah. 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 So that feels like what's going to be kind of big at SEMA. Of course. I mean, there's a big falling for, you know the Mopar stuff and, and the Dodge stuff now that it's it's nearing its its end, right? With with all the last versions of of, of the 
of the challenger that they're bringing out. And, this is the last, last, last version. So. We swear. We're last, 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 yeah. Final, I mean, final, 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 final. Yeah. Lamborghini I mean, did the send-off. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's the I mean, Futurama the final, of cars. Yeah, the final send-off with the chopper coming in was pretty... Yes. Yeah. Pretty sick, though. I mean, if that's really the last version, or not, who knows, but... Lamborghini does it in ways where you don't, like, they rebody it. Yeah. And yep. they're like, that's still an Aventador. Still an Aventador, <laughs> yeah. You know? With, okay, with I a love different the Countach, body. Though. Yeah. It does I look good. I love the Countach, yeah. though. The Countach yeah. does look good, actually. It looks good. You know, considering all the things that they have to work around to make that, like, road legal, there's a few yeah. things I'm like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have preferred it that way, but I get it. You know, the rear lights are probably the, the thing on the Countach. I'm like, oh, I wish they would have done something more classic versus I forget what they pulled that off the more eighties. Well, um, there was a car that they pulled the rear off. I can't remember. It was oh, Tint- one right before Centenario or Scion, the, the Scion. Scion. Yeah. Scion. yeah, I, think yeah. Scion. I actually like Centenario. Yeah. I thought that was a cool, yeah, that was a cool car. You know, I mean, they're all unaffordable a, for any of us. I like, but... I'd have a black one with a front and rear wing sure. as soon as I got oh, it. It would be, yeah, yeah, it'd be yeah, the yeah. first thing I would do yeah. just to piss people off. What is that on the front? I'm like, then yeah. you don't know. I'm old. Leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> I like seeing their progression. Like when, when they had Murcielago and then and seeing Reventon and then how that went into Aventador and how Aventador yeah. has gone into, what is it, Revuelto now, I guess is what, is that what it's called? Revuelto, Revuelto yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I, cool. yeah. I never know how to pronounce this. Neither thing. do I. But, you know, I saw it, <laughs> whatever, that, however you pronounce it. I saw that Festival of Speed. I saw it at, at, at Car Week, and it still hasn't come around for me, you know, in terms of, like, I mean, I remember seeing when the Aventador came in, I was like, Dang. They grow on you. Know, you. That one, this, yeah. But, I mean, this one didn't hit me as much. Dan and I have talked about it. Like when when McLaren introduced the Senna, I thought it was the most ugliest piece of crap in the world, mm. and now I, you couldn't stop me from buying it. Has one. A, <laughs> so yeah. For me, it's only if it's the GTR version. I still, I still yeah. the regular I'm one. Thinking, yeah. You know. Yeah. Let me Lanzante the the stuff. Yeah. You know, whether it's P1 GTR or semi GTR, that to me is like, oh, that's the way it yeah. needs to be, you know? Sad to, yeah. to, that they have so much problems with the windshield or whatever it is that that, that chassis has inherent issues with, you know, where uh, it just it keeps cracking, yeah. keeps cracking. Keeps you don't cracking, need a windshield, which, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I almost picked up a McLaren to replace the SLS and I just couldn't do it just because of. All the all the challenges that I'd heard about, and I hope they. I my favorite car of all time is McLaren F1. Um, oh yeah, ours too, hands you know? down. And it's yep. and I I want to own a McLaren, but I'm just so hesitant because of all the all the things that you hear about. You know, I don't know how true certain things are or not, but definitely some friends that have owned McLarens and, and been fine, and and quite a few that haven't, where it's like they never have the car, right? Yeah, it's always yep, in service. That's that's my fear as well and i'm i'm because i've been on that cusp of i'm like man one of my dream cars is a 675 lt and i'm not i'm not i'm not in the market enough to get one yet but i'm like well i could get like a 650 or i could get a um you know a 570 spider which i also love i mean it's not the same but at the same time like if i want to get my dip my feet in a mclaren but i don't want a car i can't rely on i put miles on my cars i'm an explorer i love to drive my cars it's not to and from the store it's to and from Moab, it's to and from, you know, Southern California. It's not, it's not short distances. And so yeah. a car that very much could leave me stranded, like scary, eh. right? 
Yeah. Yeah, and the 675, from what I so – I've only driven 650, which I didn't really care for, but I heard the 675 has one of the best steering racks it's, of all time. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Best uh, car I've ever driven on the street, hands wow, down. That's, that says a lot because I almost yep. picked one up during pandemic because they got down to like under 200. Yep. <laughs> you know, you were like, that's, that's a pretty achievable. damn good deal. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, 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 like, yeah, there was a whole lot of, can I go back to Robin? Robin? I used to do that. <laughs> yeah. Do I want to do it again? Because, like, <laughs> so, I mean, if you looked at what was comparable was Speciale, right? And those things just get rocket shipping, Ridiculous. like yeah. 450, 500. And then, like, which initially that 675 was doing that. And then, you know, we hit pandemic and it was like 250, 230, 210. Come on, 180. I saw like 190 yeah. and I was like, woo. Yeah. Yep. You know, enticing. But then you had to buy like a $30,000 warranty mm-hmm. <laughs> you had to go with yeah, it just to cover the yourself. 200 again, yeah. Yeah, it's like, wait, yeah. I have to buy what? It's like, oh yeah, it's fifteen grand a year just to, to have like a warranty with it. I'm like... And you need it, yeah. Yeah, and you need yeah. it, you know, because if something goes out, it's it's at least fifteen grand, if not more, so... That gives me goals. It would be a perfect third car for me. It couldn't be a first or a second, but that's no, a third that's car a, I could yeah. sit and hold on to. It is such. A, it's it's one of the best looking modern generation McLarens to me. You know, even compared to seven seven six five and, and six hundred LT, like the six seven five LT was like ooh, ooh. Especially if you get a roof scoop car. Yeah, still that's still rare. Ra- that's still rare though. The roof scoop ones, or yeah, one with are... the with the roof scoop and the LM wheels. Yeah, oh, there's, a, there's yeah. a few of those Talk running around. There's one. There's one in Orange County in in in, in that darker green color you know like oh. i saw that canadian it's a canadian version of the senna lm that was driving around monterey mm-hmm. and, and it, you can apparently you could only get it in canada or something but yeah it's it's got the orange with the the classic it looks like the the, the f1 but yeah so yeah yeah, the f1 yeah. Would, i mean there were the f1 lm was uh, on the God. green on the lawn on sunday yeah i had to fly home yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't make it to pebble this year People were sending me photos yeah. of the of the car, and they're like, you know, like, hey, look, your your goat's here. Yeah, like, Damn it. like yeah, that's I've the seen... one that sits in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, so. well, there was that one that always I didn't see it this year that always used to sit in downtown Carmel. Like he always used to park oh, that. white yeah, one. one. Yeah. yeah, that's some guy yeah. from the Northeast that used to ship it in and drive it around all the time. Good for him. Um, yeah, I forget the guy's name. I, I had his Instagram handle for a while because I would remember he would stay at the Marriott across from RM Auctions. Yeah. Um, and he just drive it around. I'm like, that is amazing. Like bow down, you know, like, and he had not the full downforce package, but he had part of it. I remember he had a hundred percent more uh, McLaren F1 than I had. <laughs> than yeah, any, of us. any of us. I yeah. did. I did get to finally sit in one. Thanks to the, to the, Lucky. to the friends at RM. So shout out to our, the guys at RM, <laughs> um, who let me, cause there was one there that was on private auction. Yeah. If you, if you guys remember, it sat in the lobby of the Portola. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they gave me the opportunity to sit in. I was like, no, I'm good. And we came around and they were like, are you sure? And I was like, man, I might never have this chance ever again. So I took my shoes off, you know, and, and sat in there and, and created, you know, like shot some video just so I could remember that I at least sat in one. Absolutely awesome. Largy, well, I really appreciate you taking time and, and out of your busy schedule, and, and uh, we look forward to really seeing what you're going to do with SEMA. Um, like I said, uh, it's been fun to to think we we know you, watching you come up through the <laughs> through the, the car ranks and things yeah. like that. But uh, it's been a real pleasure to have a chance to sit down and talk to you. Uh, appreciate if, the opportunity, guys. Yeah, if you're ever up here, hit us up. We'll go grab some drinks and hang out, and 
drive some cars. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, for our for our listeners, if you want to follow RJ, it's RJ underscore Devera D E V E R A on Instagram, um, and you can find him, of course, by googling his name anywhere because uh, he's all over the internet. <laughs> so awesome. and uh, and yeah. film, um, yeah. So <laughs> for this episode of the Avance Podcast, I'm Nick. I'm Dan, and don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>